Ready? No. Oh, yeah, all right. (laughs) Here we go. This is Top Landing Gear. And welcome to Top Landing Gear and to the first episode proper of Series 5. And what a great one to get us going. It's the story of a very special Spitfire, a photo reconnaissance PR4, or rather of its discovery and restoration, and of the last man to fly it, Sandy Gunn, who became one of those immortalised in The Great Escape. The project to get this historic aircraft flying again is being led by Tony Hoskins, who many of you may know as the man who built a real flying chitty chitty bang bang for a Channel 4 documentary and recreated the glider that was built but never used to get Allied prisoners out of Kolditz Castle during World War II. But Tony is passionate about raising the profile of the unsung heroes of Britain's photo reconnaissance unit during the Second World War from the pilots to the analysts who studied every photograph to the minutest detail. Photo reconnaissance, or PR, provided vital intelligence for Allied commanders to plot the strategy of the war and to enable its ultimately successful outcome. We'll hear a clip of our meeting with Tony later, and of course you'll be able to hear the full interview in our full Flaps edition, which drops a week after this first goes to air, so depending on when you're listening, it may well be there already. But first, let's do our own bit of PR and meet the team. Hold it. Flashbang wallop. What a picture. What a picture. What a photograph. <laughs> it's photogenic frontman of indie rock band Scouting for Girls, the extremely handsome Roy Stride. Good evening. Thanks to Tommy Steele and half a sixpence for that. <laughs> Now, lens selection is critical when taking photographs, so you'll need the extra wide angle to get in all this chap's features. It's wide-bodied airline pilot, our aviation expert, James Cartner. I don't know whether the wide-bodied refers to what I fly. Who knows? Who knows? Thank you. Hello. Hello, Jimbo. (laughs) Now, if you use terms like depth of field or it needs cropping... To this one, he'll be in his tractor quick as a flash because he'll think it's time to bring in the harvest. It's agricultural fencer, my bro, Jez Curling. Hello, everybody. And ask him for his best side. It really doesn't matter. Left, right, from the front or from behind, you can take him anywhere you choose. (laughs) Pretty as a picture, it's me, Jez's brother, broadcaster, Rob Curling. Hello, Hello, Rob. Hello, everybody. And thanks for listening, everyone. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we are back, and it's the start proper now of our main programmes for for Series 5. We did a sort of preview show, didn't we, uh, just recently, where we caught up really on what everyone's been up to. So we'll do less of that this time round, and I think get straight into our Ask James chat before we look at the... PR story, the photo reconnaissance story. Yeah, and we had any um, emails in about Ask James emails. Funnily enough, um, Roy, no, anything? No, uh, nothing for James. We, because obviously we're we recording this anybody. before 
I've done any promo for this series at all. So yeah. if anybody has any questions for James, then just get in contact with all the usual yeah. social media handles. Yeah. Uh, however you like. Any questions at all. I had asked James if he would perhaps make a little, one of his little video things to put up on the socials so that we could then, ahead of recording tonight, we could have actually got some questions in. So I was waiting for that to came through. But and it came through in the middle of the night did. last night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's Do brilliant. You know how long these things take? <laughs> they don't just happen. That's some stuff, you know, it's art. And He's I a will busy be, man. I will be using it. He flies it every, every month. I know you do. That's every month. <laughs> and people will have seen it by now. It's brilliant. So, um, yeah, there were James. Yes. We've still got some questions. We covered a lot of ground uh, last time. Did, yeah. One really exciting story is that there is a mosquito due to come uh, to the UK. It's yes. going to be based at Biggin Hill. It's coming over from New Zealand. Yeah, it's being restored in New Zealand. Yeah. Uh, it's taking three years to restore Something it. Like I don't that. know what condition it was in before before they started restoring it. Yeah, because I think they've got a couple out there. Yeah. Um, so it'll be the only one flying in Europe. Gosh. Um, and uh, it's going to do a little bit of a, a tour of um, the colonial uh, countries on its way Is it? to the UK. Malaya? I understand. You can ask. Quite you can possibly. Ask. They yeah. were in Malaya. They were. Yeah. Um, and it'll be based for, I think, the part of the Spitfire company that's at... Um, Heritage Hangar. Heritage Hangar at... So will they Biggin. be taking passengers? Well, this is the question. Ooh, they haven't, a... they haven't. I don't think they've announced whether they will or not. I think the idea was to, at some point... Two. Mm. <laughs> well, that's probably, two. probably all it can take. <laughs> yeah. The idea was to do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, I'm sure they'll... It'd be a lucrative thing for them to yeah. do so, and there'd be a, a queue a mile long of aviation yeah. enthusiasts who'd love to fly in. Gosh, a can you imagine airplane. that? And just Jane, if just Jane, yeah. once it gets airborne, what in six yeah. years' time or so, if yep. if they get the license to carry passengers as well, I mean, what a time! I mean, they'll all want to be covered on top landing gear, surely. I mean, they'd be, yeah. Yeah. yeah, they'll need us to go they up will, and do they a show because really yeah. they've got the mosquito, haven't they, at the Lynx the Aviation? Yeah, which, which you can yeah do Tony Agar's mosquito, yeah. that is, isn't I it? I don't think that's ever going to fly. No, because yeah. I think it's, it's made out of about seventeen different. Mosquitoes, all of different yeah. types, and really? all roughly glued together. Yeah. But uh, it's, it was a lovely bit of. Oh, it looks yeah. great! Yeah. 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 We crawled around it. We did crawl around it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. So that's really exciting thing uh, to look forward to. Um, a bit of upsetting news from uh, towards the end of last year was Cornwall Spaceport mm. and uh, that. Uh, 747 launch yeah. of all yeah. those uh, satellites, which didn't work. Which no. I just felt so sorry for them because it was a i'm, I'm sure it will it will yeah. happen and yeah. it will work they've, they've narrowed it was... down to a seal or something that, that oh, was it didn't i don't know they've narrowed it down to a, a particular part that failed oh a seal failed. a seal <laughs> not, <laughs> a... not the thing <laughs> they have a lot of those in cornwall <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. when they get stuck in a rocket it's never gonna get no, no, too much no. lumber <laughs> Uh, but it was some particular part that failed, and they've narrowed, they found out exactly what happened. Yeah, uh, and so hopefully that was a learning experience, as a lot of aviation yeah. is. I mean, the first flights, expensive took a while. One. Yeah, expensive one. Do you know when they might try again? Have they put a date out? No, there? I don't. Neither do I. No, good. I just want. I thought we went to the quiz already. <laughs> no buzzer. But there's a real there's a real commitment behind the whole technology, yeah. oh, yes. the whole project. So. Yeah, and to have it down at Newquay, yeah. I think it's just, yeah. it's just great. And good news for Newquay, I believe I'm right mm. saying that the Aviation Heritage Museum there has been rescued Saved and for now at least yes. has found yeah. is is looking or has found some new premises, which is brilliant. Yeah, yeah. So that was brilliant. a tragedy. Yeah. Yeah, the council stepped in and wanted to throw them off the airfield for yeah. 
who knows what kind of reason? Because yeah. it's a massive site, yeah. RAF St. Morgan, yeah. which is the military side of the yeah. Newquay Cornwall Airport. Yeah. yeah, so that's that's good. So let's hope that that's for real and they keep going. A wonderful story on Twitter. I don't know if you saw this, James, this week, or if this indeed has ever happened to you. A Korean Air pilot, I think he was Korean Air, um, making his PA announcement to the passengers as they were taxiing out, so there's a bit of delay, and he was making it quite a lengthy announcement. Finishes announcement, and then air traffic control and all the other aircraft on frequency come back. Thanks for that, guys. That was great to hear. Uh, instead of pushing the PA button, he pushed the transmit button. <laughs> I, uh, just I, lovely. Great to say it's happened more frequently than, uh, than than doesn't happen. Happened to me once. Oh, great! I was, I'm uh, so pleased. I did, it was my in-flight, my arrival into London City PA, and instead of doing it on. Um, the PA in the aircraft, I did it on the guard frequency, which is the frequency that every aeroplane listens to. <laughs> so I did it to Europe, basically. Oh, no. <laughs> well, it's a sort of emergency frequency. That's an emergency, yeah. So you, you, oh. on that, that's the frequency you use. And because you, it's a long thing, you, you, you t hold down, transmit, and you just talk. They probably would recognise your voice from other... <laughs> well, this is the issue. Emergencies you actually have. <laughs> oh, it's him again. Um, but, um, but while you're transmitting, you can't hear people talking to you. So people may have been saying... You're on guard, which is the normal thing that people... But it, I was just on permanent transmit for about, I don't know, maybe two minutes. <laughs> was it one of those jocular ramblers? Uh, it of... wasn't too... I, I tend not to be too jocular because right. the last thing you want is a funny pilot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what way funny? Yeah. Yeah. Smelling funny. Yeah. Fine um, funny. So I'd, I'd made my sound a PA, but obviously my, my voice is known um, amongst my peers yeah. and friends. From um, this podcast, pretty <laughs> well known around the world. world. <laughs> As I landed, my phone just went, ding, 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 ding. Oh, yeah. and about thirty mates who were also airborne at the same time said, "Heard you on the guard, great oh, PA." Lovely. Uh, so yeah, I've done it once. That's very funny. Oh, that's super but it happens funny. every so often. It happens. Does it? And, and Is it just and, a single button for that emergency what? frequency? Yeah. So it's, so it's all you, you always have it on your you have a preset on your standby radio. Yeah. But you have a buttons which select what you talk on so you can yeah. talk on the main radio the standby radio yeah uh if some have a third radio your pa to the cabin or mm. um, to the cabin crew so you I have to select the thing that concerns you most about it, that was a, a harmless mistake yeah but if you're just going to go pressing random buttons in aircraft <laughs> presumably it could actually be somewhat more well, serious well, which which of your mistakes do you regret more <laughs> that one or the one where Coming you accidentally closed the throttles on the puma when it was in the hover it wasn't in the hover. It was flying normally. Not <laughs> for long. For a bit. <laughs> um, I think they're all great learning experiences. Yeah. That's, that's what I like to take away from all of this. And um, I, I wouldn't be the rounded, the round, rounded pilot that I am now without all of these experiences. Is what I'd like to Lovely. say. That's a great, good answer. No so answer. We can see how you Vanilla. got to where you are today, Mister mm. Bluffer. Mm. <laughs> Good. So, look, that's probably, we're probably up to date, are we, with, with all that so, kind yeah. of stuff? Lovely. Thank you, Jim, for all that. <clears throat> OK, then, let's move on to our, our topic of the day, and it's all about photo reconnaissance. We'll be concentrating on, on that Spitfire that's uh, being rebuilt. But let's find out, first of all, all there is to know about aerial photo reconnaissance from Jez in Jez's Quick Facts. <laughs> we're back. Uh, Welcome back. Obviously not quick, and hopefully they are facts. But here we go, people. Good um, luck, Broy. Feel free to edit as uh, as we go along. As ever. As ever. Aerial reconnaissance can be traced back as far as the end of the French Revolution and to 1794 in particular when Charles Coutel 
carried out studies using a manned balloon to study enemy manoeuvres. After the invention of, of photography and from the 1860s onwards, manned and unmanned balloons, kites and even pigeons <laughs> with small timed cameras were experimented with. Scientists trialled cameras attached to large calibre artillery pieces and even rockets and the Austrian army tested these in the Turkish-Bulgarian War of 1912. Let's make a long way at this. Now, the first use of aerial reconnaissance with heavier-than-air aircraft was by the Italian Air Force during their conflict with Turkey in 1911, with the pilot as the spotter. Various developments in photography meant that by the start of World War I, aerial photography was becoming commonplace, although the usefulness of photo reconnaissance was not fully realised at the time. In 1912, Number 1 Squadron RFC, under the command of a group of Group Captain Frederick Laws, started using photo reconnaissance from a dirigible. He discovered that photos taken with a 60% overlap created a stereoscopic effect, creating better perception of depth and so helping derive better intelligence from aerial images. Subsequently, the dirigibles were sent to the Royal Navy and Laws then went on to form the first fixed-wing photo reconnaissance unit, Number 3 Squadron RFC. By 1915, at the Battle of Neuve-Chapelle, the entire German trench system was being photographed, and by the end of World War I, improvements to focal power meant that photoreconnaissance was playing a crucial military role, uh, and in 1918, both sides were photogra uh, photographing the entire Western Front twice a day, with the RAF using a Sopwith camel with handheld cameras. Multiple developments then continued between the wars, including heated aerial cameras for use at very high altitudes. In 1939, Australian inventor Sidney Cotton and flight officer Maurice Longbottom suggested that aerial PR was a task best suited to small, fast aircraft. Cotton and Longbottom suggested the use of stripped-down Spitfires with armaments removed and extra fuel tanks fitted. The first of two PR Mark Ones were given to them at Number 1 PRU in October 1939, and this in turn led to the development of Spitfire PR variants up to the PR Mark 19 fitted with two vertical and one oblique camera, uh, a speed of up to 445 miles an hour, and a ceiling of 42,600 feet. Other aircraft also evolved into PR roles, including the Mosquito, the P-38 Lightning, and the P-51 Mustang. These aircraft were painted generally in PRU blue or pink. The Mosquito was an excellent PR aircraft with cameras fitted in the Bombay or in drop tanks, depending on the variant. And the first PR Mosquito PR Mark I was, developed to RA, was delivered to RAF Benson in July 1941, James. Um, the final PR Mark 34A came along in August 1945. A United States Air Force Colonel, Roy M. Stanley II, <laughs> wrote, I consider the Mosquito to be the best PR aircraft of the war. Much of the PR material gathered in, European in the European theatre was collected and interpreted at RAF Medneman. By 1945, 25,000 negatives and 60,000 prints a day were being gathered. Wow! And, in the information, and the information gleaned was used in practically every aspect of planning for the operation of the war. The stereoscopic images proved invaluable and, amongst many other examples, were crucial in the identification of the V-1 and V-2 rockets. In total, 36 million prints were made during the war, and many of these can actually be viewed on the National Collection of Aviation Photography, that's NCAP, website. I've had a look at that, it's really interesting. Mm. And you can go back and see all sorts of stuff from the war and from elsewhere uh, in the world. 
Indeed, immediately after the war, aerial photo reconnaissance was soon taken up by adapted jet bombers such as the Canberra PR-9, used by the RAF, and its alter ego, the Martin B-57, by the Americans. Dedicated PR aircraft such as the Lockheed U-2, its successor, the SR-71 Blackbird, and the North American 5C Vigilante were also used by the USAF. Uh, the Russians used the Aleutian IL-28, the Yak-28R, and the MiG-25R, um, and they were commonly used by the Soviets. Uh, more recently, of course, drones and satellites have become commonplace as PR platforms, and of course, if you want to go high-end and cutting-edge, you could always buy a balloon from China. <laughs> <laughs> and those are your quick facts. That's amazing. Yeah. That's wow. quick. That's incredible. I cannot believe the number of photographs yeah. taken. Yeah. 26 million, yeah. And that NCAT website is really interesting. It's easy. It's based up in Scotland, uh, but uh, you don't have to go there. Well, it doesn't matter, matter with the No, it doesn't matter. <laughs> That's true. Uh, I, and they... I just wonder who had to digitise all those photos. I know. Yeah, I, that's a point. Yeah. It's yeah. extraordinary. I, I don't know how many are there. Are they stereoscopic? But... Can you look at them? That's a good question. I don't know, mate. I've I looked at a few, found some from Benson, actually. Yeah. But they were they were found, you know, all sorts. Of, and they're not just from the war. They're from around the world. Uh, so it's a really good resource. Yeah. It's fascinating. And actually, that was one of the hardest... Uh, uh, set of facts I've had to do because is, so many is, aircraft yeah. have become yeah. PR aircraft. <laughs> I could have gone for another 15 minutes. Yeah. It, and it's really yeah. technical as well. Yeah. I haven't really gone into any of the detail with the cameras. That is amazing because I did spend a little bit of time trying to prep for the quiz and there is very little in summary <laughs> yes. about photo reconnaissance. No, yeah. pages, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, especially if yeah. you've done literally an entire... You know the history of it. <laughs> I hope for, I've done it for 200 years. Yeah, it's for about 200 minutes. Is it like... It's amazing with with photo reconnaissance because it's all the really cool planes, yeah. the fast yeah, ones, yeah, yeah, yeah. ones mm. you know the, the cutting edge technologies, yeah. That, you yeah. know, the Blackbird, yeah. Mosquito, yeah, and the, the Canberra, which was, I was just brilliant in every role it was ever designed and the, for, particularly and the, the PR nine and the PR nine Canberra was a particularly designed camera, just single pilot, slightly offset, yeah, flight deck. That's right, um, yeah. and it was, yeah, that was still in service when I was in the air force, yeah. And it was an incredible bit of kit, yeah. considering how old the camera was yeah. and what it was doing at that camera moment. or Canberra? Canberra. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and when you think most of this happened before digital technology, you know, yeah. all wet film. Yeah. 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 And followers on Twitter of RAF Luton will know that every <laughs> single photo they ever post is it's taken from a camera. <laughs> it which is. I just yeah. love. It is. Yeah. It, is. Yeah. it was. It was really interesting reading about it actually. But it was. Uh, it was difficult trying to get, get into one source. But I found. I find that really interesting because yeah. I learned loads of stuff that mm. I had never known about before. And one of the reasons we keep mentioned James when we talk about RAF Benson is that was the main base for photo reconnaissance, yeah. but it's where James was when he was stationed on, on Pumas, wasn't yeah, it, for the RAF? Yeah, that's my time there. So, yeah. yeah. So very, it's your home base. And as we, we'll chat about later with the Sandy Gunn story, mm. his story, which is in a book, I think um, it's in the book which Tony has written about Sandy Gunn, talks about all these the local establishments around the Benson area. Oh, and yes. they're, they're all places that I used to hang around in all the, the local pubs and hostelries, <laughs> yeah. and uh, it's all it really brought it back. So it's quite yeah. uh, it's fascinating. And the, the, the connection to Benson is quite quite good for me. Oh, yeah, that's really nice. I mean, and, and talking to Tony, we spent the whole day with Tony, and I mean, he he has a lot to say, but it's all utterly fascinating. Yeah. The yeah. stuff going around that the hangar workshop was amazing, but but the story of this particular Spitfire, how they came to recover it, and the story of the pilot who was in it when it got shot down. 
just amazing. And you'll hear more of that in the full flaps. But we'll, we'll hear a clip from Tony now because it was just before Christmas last year that James, Jez and I, Roy was busy touring with the band, obviously. Uh, but we headed to the Isle of Wight to meet Tony, who took us to the workshops of airframe assemblies at Sandown, where they're restoring all sorts of historic aircraft. But our focus was on just one, a very rare Spitfire PR4 AA810. On the 5th of March 1942, Flight Lieutenant Sandy Gunn was at the controls of 810 on a mission to locate and photograph the German battleship Tirpitz when he was shot down. Now, Sandy bailed out but was eventually captured. The aircraft crashed into Norwegian mountainside where it lay ever since, that is, until Tony Hoskins and his team came along to retrieve it back in 2018. And now they're restoring it to full flight to honour the men and women of the Photographic Reconnaissance Unit. Did, did pilots like Sandy Gunn volunteer to be on the Photographic Reconnaissance Unit? Was it something they wanted to go on or would they have rather been fighting battles? You see, I've had two different answers to this. Sandy doesn't allude to it in his letters um, and his main diary only starts when he arrives at Benson. Um, I've spoken to one veteran who laughed when I said, did you volunteer? He said, he said I was certainly volunteered. But then I have spoken to another veteran who did certainly volunteer. They basically walked into the mess and said, who wants to go and do this? And they said, what's it about? And they went, well, I don't know. Um, and he went off and did it anyway. Um, so, yeah, it's a very difficult thing. What I do know for sure is most of these guys have said that the Spitfire in particular saved their lives for what they were doing. You know, it was super fast, they didn't have guns, they couldn't protect themselves, and they needed something that was quick and manoeuvrable and could outrun. I mean, uh, one of our veterans, he flew mosquitoes, and he had a very powerful mosquito at the end of the war, because a lot of development work was done with the reconnaissance guys, and he said he was doing one trip, uh, and he saw a Fokker Wolf 190 come up and start to go for him, and he could just open the taps through all the boost and just pull away from it, he said, and that really saved his life on that aspect. But most of the Spitfire guys went, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the Spitfire in particular. In terms of Sandy Gunn, on that fateful day, he was uh, out there to photograph the, the Tirpitz, the German battleship. That's right. I mean, the Tirpitz was a bit of a problem. Um, if you think at that particular time in the war, we were very much on the back foot. So whilst we'd won the Battle of Britain, effectively the Germans had air superiority from everywhere south and east of the, of the channel, really. Um, so we were very much on the offensive. Sorry, we were very much on the defensive. Um, offensive hadn't really started, but we still needed to know what was going on. And the convoys, the convoys were still being hit quite hard as well at that That's point. That's right. But if you think we, we were, everything was kicking off in the Mediterranean, um, obviously Germans had just started their operations against Russia, so we needed stuff going to Russia, but equally we needed stuff coming from Russia. So we had the Arctic convoys, and of course we had the Atlantic convoys as well. So your Royal Navy was split between um, the Mediterranean and everything going off down there, the North Sea and the North Atlantic. So um, the fact that you're about to put probably one of the most dangerous battleships out amongst the Arctic convoys left everyone very worried. And of course, the weather at the end of 1941, beginning of 42, was appalling. Um, so the Tirpitz had been in uh, in for refit, and 
it was spied by the PRU as being there, and then a few weeks later, when they could get back over it again, it was gone. And of course, that, that worries quite a few people, including <laughs> Churchill. So he basically gave direct orders for a flight of uh, PRU aeroplanes to be dispatched to Wick. And there were five aeroplanes and five pilots that were sent uh, up there, one of which was 810, and of course, one of which we know is Sandy Gun. Um, and they were dispatched up there to find Tirpitz on a three month. Um, three months to convent and at the end of it uh, only two of them came home and um, one of those because he'd been sent off to training and everyone else was killed because it was unfortunately tragic I mean you'll appreciate if you're coming back from Trondheim to hit Wick um, I believe it's something like seven degrees off track and you'll either miss so you'll either go all the way down the North Sea and never see the UK or you go straight out into the Atlantic so when you're doing that by dead reckoning with poor Met um, you can see why the attrition rate was huge absolutely huge so for Sandy, he found the Tirpitz, he photographed it and was on his way home when he was then hit by, by two Messerschmitts. That's right, yeah. I mean, we have photos. This is a wonderful thing, <laughs> talking about capturing things in time. We have photos taken from the aeroplane from 810 because, of course, they were developed and they were held in an archive in Scotland. And equally, we have some of Sandy's ones from his missions taken in other aeroplanes. We've got some beautiful photos of the Tirpitz um, in sea trials uh, in Tromsfjord. And um, it's really bizarre because you're looking at something that actually happened and is actually there. Um, but yeah, that's right. He'd managed to find Tirpitz. He'd had a couple of engine issues a few flights before. And he records in his diary that the engine had started running particularly rough. Merlin 45 was not a great engine when it first came into service. Um, I can certainly assure you now the condition of the Merlin, <laughs> now we brought it off the mountain, is not one that would run again. Um, but yes, basically, the, um, uh, he was working out whether he was going to go to Sweden and whether he'd risk the uh, North Sea crossing, because you're certainly at that time, you know, March 1942, you're dead within minutes of being in the water. Um, so, you know, was he going to make it or not? And the German combat report shows that he was basically circling, working out what to do, which you'd never normally do in the combat area. But in fairness to Sandy, um, the Luftwaffe hadn't been present until two days before. Um, it was not noted and no interception had been made by the Luftwaffe the day before when 810 was flying, although it had taken um, hits from Tirpitz anti-aircraft fire with Fane on it. And... Um, yeah, so they hadn't been intercepted because actually 810 is the first Spitfire to be shot down in Norway. Um, so it was, uh, there hadn't been any losses in Norway since the campaign in 1940 when we pulled out of there. Um, so it was relatively unknown. So you would have thought he was fairly safe. Um, and there's a sad line in his diary that says that, you know, everyone's very punchy about getting shot down. But, you know, if you're not concentrating, that's the only time you're going to be lost. And of course, he wasn't concentrating and he was lost. And uh, yeah, so he got bounced and he eventually bailed out of the aeroplane um, when the tail came off uh, and it was on fire and he parachuted down. He was, he was quite badly burnt. Um, but he was helped off the mountain by some young children um, and uh, he ended up being taken prisoner of war. And you know, the, the town and the community now is very much the same as it was then. You can go to the house where he stayed, which is the commandant's house, and I've met people from the village who were school children at the time. There's one guy, very strange, who was sitting on the steps of the house, which is the former commandant's house, and this guy came up and he said, yeah, um, you know, I saw Sandy Gunn at the time. He was sat here on this bench and there was a German there and a German there and they were all having a cigarette and you're going, oh, this is a bit too close for comfort. It really is, it, really strange. Um, but that's what's been really nice about it. Um, then of course he goes off to the prison camp and he ends up um, prisoner of war. He was number five to arrive in the brand new camp that was Stalagluf three. Um, and then, yeah, everybody knows the great escape story from there on. Um, and it's very special to have what is basically the only aeroplane that relates to anybody in the Great Escape. Yeah. And the end result for him, 
was not a good one. No, absolutely not, unfortunately. So he was part of the tunnelling team, so he was able to go into the, the draw, basically, to be one of the 200 to go out. Um, he wasn't in the first draw, which was those who speak German. He didn't speak any languages, um, so he couldn't risk travelling in trains. He did obviously get out. He was the 68th out of the tunnel, and we know 76 got out before uh, the tunnel was discovered. Um, but he had to travel on underneath the trains he felt that was the, obviously the quickest way best you know best way to escape is a prison war bicycle theft that's a really good way of getting long distances um, or train but then obviously you're obviously challenged a lot and you need to have a good command of German and your documents need to stand up to good scrutiny as well um, you sit on the bogies underneath uh, a freight train no one's really going to come and talk to you so this 24 year old and his escape partner Mike Casey basically rode the axles underneath the trains and the train routes at the time from effectively where they were at Stalag of Three took you to Berlin before then back up to the northern shipping ports where you could jump a ship to Sweden. Obviously that brought about neutrality. It would often bring about prison as well because of course you're arriving into a country with no documents and whether it's neutral or not, first thing that's going to happen is to be arrested but at least if you're arrested in a neutral country, someone's going to eventually get you to the ambassador at some point you can get home from there. Um, sadly, from what we can deduce from people who came to visit his family after the war. Um, we think he was picked up somewhere near Bernal and uh, there's a marshalling yard there. So we suspect he took one freight train, obviously had to then change to another one to carry on up and uh, evidently got challenged and on the way and of course couldn't speak German. So that's where it falls over. Um, he was taken down to Gorlitz, handed over to the Gestapo as we well know. Um, and he was interrogated there because he'd been on the run for about two and a half days. Um, so he left on the night of the 24th and he was picked up uh, on the 27th and um, he was down to uh, Gorlitz by the 28th um, and they called his name on the morning of the 5th. He went off in a, a lorry with four others um, and then never arrived back at the camp and the next thing that was known was about a month and a half later when his ashes turned up at the camp and they said that's what's, that's what's happened to him and uh, that's where he stayed and he's now out in Poznan now uh, still, I've not been there, not through, not through not wanting to go, but just, I think, to retain the respect for the project and the research that you do, whilst he's somebody on paper, um, it's a lot easier to research than going to see where a guy actually rests, and that comes just a bit too close for me at the moment. I will go, um, but not just yet, because I'm not quite sure how I deal with that when I come to do that. really was great to listen to what Tony had to say. He's, I mean, he's got so much knowledge now yeah. about everything to do with that aircraft, from speaking to people, you know, when they did that recovery operation, villagers yeah. who remembered yeah. seeing it being shot down. is absolutely extraordinary. And it was such a great day, which started off with the three of us going over on hovercraft. It which was, we it flew there. Do. Yeah. <laughs> I've it never was. been on a hovercraft yeah. before. No, it, it was, was just great, wasn't yeah, it? That was it, was, it was brilliant. I remember um, when we were... On the way into uh, off the, in the taxi to to the to the airfield, yeah, uh, Tony opened his bag and pulled out the joystick that he'd just had. Oh yes, either just bought or had re I think bought and had refurbished. Yeah. Yes, and he said this is worth more than the Range Rover. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Wow. This is the joystick for the Spitfire, not the hovercraft. Yes, they weren't careering across <laughs> the uh, yeah. yeah across the water. Yeah, I mean it was brilliant. It was it was uh, it was a fascinating. Well, well, day. What I was supposed to was how they're reusing the bits, but they're not yeah. reusing the big bits. 
No, they can't they're reuse all, the big yeah. bits. Bent so they're taking pieces. all the tiny little bits off yeah. and reusing those. Yeah, and because the, they want to use as much yeah. original. So you know, stuff sort as of a lot of screws and spaces and things like that. Yeah, which you'd think would be far easier, obviously, just to have made. Yeah, but they're taking them off, reforming them, and then putting them on the uh, right. the new or the. The, the, uh, the, he, the he, he did give a percentage figure, didn't he? Which I think it was 20... Maybe sort of 30. 25, 30, was it? Yeah. Maybe 30% percent, percent yeah. original parts. Which is it was just really incredible. Yeah. I mean, you, you should have seen it right. It, it was, we've got some pictures and we will we'll put them up of some of the twisted wreckage yeah. that came back. But the other problem they had, because this was originally built as a Mark I yeah. Yeah. and was converted before it went into operation into a PR Mark IV... Yeah. And so a lot of changes, no armament, fuel tanks put in where armament would have been. Yeah. So a lot of the sort of plans and drawings... Well, there's no Haynes manual for it, is there? No, no. No. <laughs> so there were lots of bits that didn't really exist in, yeah. in, in, in plans that they got, got up. So they had to find the original bits that were... You know they could recover from the from the wreckage and and, and sort of work it out from there. It, yeah. it, it's incredible, but they will all be in the full flat. I, I, I think the dedication towards it that, that, that Tony's going towards is just yeah. incredible. The yeah. amount of time and money that he is spending, yes, um, and how he's raising the money, it, it's just blew me away. To be honest, the, yeah. the dedication that he has yeah. into that project, yeah, and, and his whole thing with education, STEM, yeah. and all that sort of stuff, which yeah. is which is brilliant to see. I thought also the dedication and the skill of the guys. And the patience yeah. of the guys working in the factory, actually putting the aircraft yeah. back together. I mean, it is how many rivets painstaking. Was it? Well, it's it's a quiz question, actually. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. So let's see if you can remember. Okay. Well, I like, like obviously I wasn't there, but I really enjoyed. Uh, we've split the full flaps into two. Yeah. We've got your interview with him in the cafe at the hoverport. Uh, <laughs> at the hoverport, hover yes. and then. You, when you sent me over the very long <laughs> recordings we had, you said we probably won't use much of this, but I actually found it fascinating the whole yeah. trip through, really? through the uh, you know the repair rooms, yeah. and uh, so I've included it all in there because oh, there's great. so much information. But Good. some of the sound quality isn't great because you're actually hearing there's noise. The, the, the noise, yeah, it's great. So, oh, Spitfire being built, yes. Yeah. So yeah. it, so yeah. I've left it all in there. Good. So it, it's it's great, and no, that'll I'm be pleased. coming out. No, I was only concerned that maybe it, it because it wasn't visual. A lot yeah. of stuff we're saying is describing bits and pieces. But like great, you could all, yeah, honestly, you could almost smell it. <laughs> really that's great. Good. Sorry really. about that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's lovely. Yeah, well, we'd be really looking forward to those um, those full flaps. So listen, guys, I think we need to do a quiz. We've never needed to do a quiz. Have we? <laughs> we always need to do a quiz. Um, I'm just trying to find it. I hope I've, I hope I brought it with me. Oh no. Wouldn't that be okay? A, next, that be a <laughs> next episode, we'll be. <laughs> well, while you're looking for that, I, yeah. I, trying to find a buzzer for photo reconnaissance <laughs> units is not immediately easy. Yeah, so I, I've gone. A, I've, I've cast my net a little wider. Okay. And just gone general spying. Oh, I like. Uh, that. And, and so I thought I'd go for. Um, I thought I'd go. Well, you haven't asked me this one. I tell you anyway. I thought I'd go for uh, the theme tune from a, a spy movie. And I thought it was like us. Uh, I've actually got... remember to only play a very short clip of it. Yes, it's <laughs> very short. Oh, yes. Yeah. Because you don't want to get sued. <laughs> but I've gone and rather fortuitously, the uh, front page of this has got a aeroplane on it, which is what it is. Uh, North by Northwest. So I've got the theme oh, tune from North by Northwest. Yeah. How does that go? Uh, well, you'll hear it in a minute, but I don't want to play <laughs> yeah, it for too long okay. for fear of being. Talking about uh, PR aircraft, I don't know if we include this. 
My favourite is the Blom and Voss BV141. Have you seen that? <laughs> that? What's it look like? It's the most, it was a German. Oh, yes, got an offset. Oh, it's the offset thing. Yes. Yeah, they only made 50 of them. Thank God for that. Yeah. <laughs> it's the most, that if you many. get a chance to look it up, it's the Blom and Voss BV141. It's hard to explain. It's like the fuselage. It looks like a normal aircraft. It's yeah. like another one's flown into it. Yeah, <laughs> it looks like <laughs> the cockpit's just been put on the end of yeah. the, the wing. Apparently it flew well. You can't see how. Some sort of balance yeah. issues. A lot, of, a lot of rudder required. Yeah. Yeah, it's bizarre. Yeah. Um, and, oh, no, something quite different. But if you look at the... the it looks like it's a bus, a yeah. backwards-facing bus. It's the most ridiculous-looking aircraft, I think, of all time. Uh, that's quite a good episode. Even it's isn't it? uh, <laughs> the most ridiculous <laughs> yes. aircraft. Yeah, I, well, there's a guy on Twitter who posts. Really? Posts. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, then. Well, I think it's time for us to have the top landing gear quiz this week, all about aerial photo reconnaissance. So, first question to each and every one of you what buzzers have we brought with you this week? Let's start with Jez. Um, I have gone for a spy movie theme tune. Oh, nice. Uh, because it was the closest thing I could ding, find ding, to. Ding, 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 No? No. Oh. Uh, North by Northwest. Oh, hello. Here we go. Let's see if this comes out. And for copyright reasons, that's all we've got. There we go. Well, I've never had yeah. the chance of my hearing that. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, Slim. James, what about you? Uh, I've gone for another song. Uh, I've gone for the opening bars from um, Darren Duran's famous hit. <laughs> oh, I was going to do Girls this. on Film. Yeah. Uh, it yeah. starts off Film. like this. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Oh. Amazing. That's, that's, that's nice. I knew you'd do that. That was what top I was draw, doing. Top yeah. draw. Oh, well done, top I draw. I think he really yeah. deserves a point for that. <laughs> I actually, I actually, well, uh, I'll, I'll yeah. be the judge of that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, Roy, what about yours? I've just got Spitfire. <laughs> no. Brilliant. Well, I hope I can hear yeah. those when they happen. Okay, best of luck, everybody. Here we go with... <laughs> with just, he's locked his phone. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go with question one. And it is the very question. During our tour of the Airframe Assemblies Workshop, where 810 is being restored, we saw lots and lots of rivets. So, to answer Roy's question, how many rivets are there? In a Spitfire. And as long as you're reasonably close, I'll give it to the closest. Yes, Roy? I think 60,000. 60,000 says Roy. Um, who wants to go next? Yes, Jez? I think it's more like 600,000. 600,000 says Jez. And what about you, James? I want to go in the middle. Uh, 250,000. 250,000. The answer is approximately... 80,000. Oh. Roy gets the point. Oh. Well done. 80,000. That was just in the wings. Yeah. No, I think it's in the whole aircraft. I mean, don't take my word for it. It's taken quite a lot to work this yeah. out, but I think it's 80,000. Listen to the full flaps. <laughs> Listen to the full flaps. It's in there. And we'll reallocate the points if it needs to do it <laughs> yeah. to me. So, next question. What nickname were PR Spits given because of their impressive fuel-carrying capacity, which was required, obviously, for their extremely long missions? Yes, Roy? Camels. Not camels. I love that. What a great idea. But not camels. Hmm. That's what I was going to say. Were you? Okay. Not you, then. James, but you want a buzz? Not, uh, okay. No. All right. I uh, don't have an answer, though. Something's, something's, yes, something's to do with horses. Um... 
pack horses or something like that. No, no. Wrong on, on both counts, actually. If you think about what it was that made them PR reconnaissance, uh, sorry, PR aircraft rather than fighters, they removed all the armament to put in fuel tanks. Uh, gunless gases. Not quite. It's not as interesting as that. Oh. It's it's not a very interesting answer. Empty yes, bellies. Belly tankers. No, uh, all lovely. Uh, it's Bowser's. Bowser's B O W S E R S. It's not interesting. Well, it's interesting, but not particularly. No, it's not. Um, right. Okay, on to question number three. <laughs> Great question. Thank you. <laughs> the pilot who was shot down in 810, Sandy Gunn, was captured and imprisoned in Stalaglove 3, the subject of the story of the Great Escape. The first tunnel Sandy worked on was soon discovered by the Germans, so he was put on tunnelling duties on which other tunnel, which was the one they eventually escaped through? Yes, James. Harry. Harry is correct. Yeah. There was a, there was a one in three chance. Yeah. So I thought it might go around the table because was... Tom was found early, wasn't it? Oh, and well then there done, was Dick and Harry. Left. Well done, Tom, Dick, and Harry. Well done. It was indeed Harry. Now, Jez told us about this in his quick facts. See if you can remember <laughs> how many. Oh, next question. How many cameras were carried on eight one zero? Oh, that's close between the two of you. I'm going to go with. Uh, with uh, James, because otherwise it'd give me a hard time. <laughs> Three. Three is correct. Um, bonus question. Where were the cameras? They were kind of in the belly and one... In the side. Uh, in the side. Well, in the side, side together. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Obviously, oblique was the... They could offset from the target to yeah. it. And then two, they had to fly right over the top. To yeah. the um, the can you remember what make <laughs> they were? It's a very famous make, and they're still involved in making camera equipment. Yes, James. Kodak Eastman. <laughs> Incorrect. Jarrett oh. uh, or Roy? Poor old Roy, he wasn't with us, so he wouldn't necessarily know all this, but he has listened to the interviews, so maybe you'll get it. I haven't got to that part. <laughs> I, I haven't. I'm only halfway through the way. Oh, are you? Well, okay, there were no. several makes that I read about, including Kodak Eastman, mm -hmm. and the earlier ones... You've remember. been to a few TV studios with me, Joe. They, they made with all the big pedestals, Did Did the big TV cameras. No. Yeah. Shall yeah. I say? Tell me. It's Vinton. Vinton, oh, Vinton oh, cameras. Say, yeah, they yeah. were the big, those robust uh, aerial reconnaissance cameras. Fantastic. Okay, next question. In fact, because it's a difficult one for Roy, this, I'm going to do this question for Roy, but anybody can answer. On the day we recorded so the difficult interview... difficult, he won't get it right, <laughs> and then we'll answer it anyway. Okay. Well, let's see how yeah, you go. Okay, on the right. day we recorded the interview on the Isle of Wight, Monday the 5th of December 2022, what leg of the Scouting for Girls tour were they on which prevented Roy from joining us? Can you remember, Roy? 5th of December, it was a Monday. Uh, Any ideas? Anyone can answer. Don't wait for him to get it wrong. <laughs> Buzz in when you're ready. So I want I want the name of the place. Yes, bro. Was it Glasgow? It wasn't Glasgow, yeah. but I, I I love the thought it could have been. They were at Glasgow actually on the eleventh of uh, December, as I remember. Yes, James. I know because it's already been mentioned. Nottingham. Not Nottingham no. either. No. That was the eighth. At Rock City, wasn't it? All oh, right, so that was the eighth. Okay, so you, you're learning the ones you're not at. So this narrows right. it down. I don't uh, know how many venues you did. Cardiff. It was Cardiff. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> right. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And can you remember the name of the venue? Uh, it's a shed where they used to keep trams. 
the tram shed. The tram shed. Yeah. <laughs> well done, you never Roy. get a point for that. No, no he, doesn't get a, he doesn't get a bonus, but he gets a point for Cardiff. That's very good. Well done. I thought I'd just throw that in just to give you a little little bit of a helping hand, there's, there's, as you weren't with us. There's not many cities you can play on a Monday night <laughs> and still have a bagging time. And Cardiff is definitely Was it one. good? Yeah, it was still good. Oh, they're all right yeah, down yeah. there, really, considering, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, now, next question. The last operational sortie of a Spitfire in RAF service was a photo reconnaissance mission flown by PS, or Papa Sierra, 8... Oh, what wouldn't we call that in those days, would it? Let's go back. PS 888, a PR Mark 19. But where and in what year? James and Jer are absolutely together. Wow. I'm, I'm going to give Jez the benefit of the doubt on this one. James, if you don't mind. Yes, Jer. Malaya. Yes, it was Malaya. 19. Yep. I think it was later than I think. I was going to say 47. I think it was 52. 52. Um, you get one point for Malaya, obviously during the Malayan emergency. Mm. So that should help the others because really? they'll know the dates of the Malayan emergency. The Everyone knows the dates Malaya. of the Malayan emergency yeah. on this podcast. 53. Sorry, are you buzzing? This is this is for a point, James. Oh, uh, yes, Roy. No, I was no yes, James. Yeah. Fifty-three. Incorrect, Roy. Do you want to? It's obviously in? fifty-four. It was April, first yeah. of April, nineteen fifty-four, and Roy takes the lead. This is this is thrilling stuff. Well done. It was uh, Roy's operating. Basically, taking the lead by knowing the date of his own tour. Well, I think it's he fair wasn't enough. Tour. I mean, he wasn't on tour in nineteen fifty-three. Felt like it. Great, say, yeah. Some of the yeah. tours. <laughs> Next question. And you've had a lot of help with these following questions from Jez's Quick Facts. Which aircraft, designed ostensibly as a fighter bomber, made its first operational flight with the RAF in July 1941, not as a fighter or bomber, but in the photo reconnaissance role? Jez. Mosquito. The Mosquito is correct. Yeah. Well done. Wonderful aeroplane. The Mosquito continued to fly with the RAF up until 1963, performing as target tug duties in those days. However, its very last operational sortie as a photo reconnaissance aircraft was made on the 15th of December, 1955. Where? Well, I mean, could it be? Jez? It was Malaya. It was Malaya. Well done. Malaya is aircraft history is Malaya. Let's face it. Absolutely right. It was a Mosquito PR34, the last model of PR Mosquito, as you said, Gerard. It was RG314 of 81 Squadron. Well done, bro. That's uh, put you level with James on too. Next question. And again, you'll know this from Jez's quick facts. The Mosquito was replaced by which aircraft, the PR3 version of which was the first to be designed for the RAF purely to perform photo reconnaissance missions? James. Camera. It is the camera. Well uh. done, James. Well done. And interestingly enough, the camera was the first jet bomber to enter RAF service and the first RAF jet bomber to drop bombs in anger. During which conflict? Jez. Aiden. Incorrect. Mm. But uh, yeah, potentially, potentially, but not Aiden. Anyone else want to buzz in? Yes, James. Suez. Not Suez. Anyone else want to buzz in? Roy? You don't want to buzz in. No, I don't. You don't want to. <laughs> you do. Are not. you sure? The Malayan yes, right. emergency. It was Operation <laughs> Fire Dog in the Malayan emergency. Absolutely right. Yep. Well done indeed. 
<laughs> yep. Canberra. It was 1955. This is the Canberra. This is the Canberra, based at uh, Butterworth in Penang, with an attack on the communist positions in Johor. First time an RF jet had bombed a target in anger. Wow. Isn't that amazing? That, that is true. I tell you, Malaya has got all the history we ever want. Yeah, thank you. That's, thank you, Ross. Sorry. Thank you for actually answering in the end. I, I'm actually going to have to read what this Malayan emergency <laughs> is all about now. What? Do you mean? Wait, I don't I'm think you joking, do. You should I'm know joking, it all by yeah. <laughs> And, you know, I, I think that pretty much covers all the yeah, questions. Think, yeah, Unless yeah, yeah, would really? anyone like a hovercraft question? <laughs> Yes, just to finish yeah, it off, because we did go over on a hovercraft. Let's do a hovercraft question then to finish off with. Um, who invented the hovercraft? Yes, James. Christopher Cockerell. Sir Christopher Cockerell, oh. I will give you that. Absolutely correct. Okay, it's a tie for first place, so we'll have to have a bonus question. I'll go through the scores. In third place yet again with two, Jez, but joint winners with four <laughs> points oh, no. each, Roy Stride and James Cartner. So let's see who answers this one correctly. When was the first flight of the SRN1 hovercraft? Is it closest gets it? Is it? Closest gets it, I think. I'm going to guess 19... Yep, you might need to buzz. Whoever goes first is at yeah. disadvantage. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 19. Closest gets it. 58. 1958, says James. Roy? Oh, that's... Uh... Is he even in the right decade, Roy? Is he? I'll go 59. The answer is June 1959. <laughs> and Roy wins it. In fact, he gets two points for being spot on. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. Roy is having an absolute blinder in the quiz. He won last week yeah. and he's won again this week. Final wow. scores, Jez two in second place with fours, James and prime position, our winner again this week, Roy Stride with six. Absolutely brilliant, Roy. Well done. Although I had to squeeze that Malaya question. <laughs> <laughs> Well oh, done, Roy. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, well, that was, that. Well, another great episode. Well Not done. And um, we must remind people of our full flaps interview with Tony Hoskins coming up um, once this, what, within in a week of this dropping? Yeah, in the week of this. In two yeah. parts. Yeah. In two parts. So the first part will be... The first part is the interview in the cafe yes. with Tony. Lovely. It's sort of an overview of the whole thing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And then the second part is longer and... Very thorough, very in depth, and it's the whole—it's literally the day with you, yeah. Walking through factory, factory, fantastic. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to hear that myself yeah. again. It was a while yeah. back we did it, so it was yeah. really good to hear it. So thanks very much, everyone, for listening. And um, once we've dealt with all the PR stuff, I think our next pod after that, the, uh, we've got many to come, will be our BizJet pilot, yep. Mark Blois Brook, who yep. you and I went to visit at Farnborough, and he's got some fantastic tales of his life as a, as a corporate jet pilot. That, some of them are absolutely jaw-dropping. Fantastic. So that was a good one. So thanks, guys. Thank Great you. to hear from well, you everyone. again. And remember to everybody uh, that you can hear that full interview with Tony in our two full flaps editions, which will drop a week after this episode has first aired. So depending on when you're listening to this, it may well be there right now. And if you'd like to listen to any or all of our podcasts so far, you'll find them on our website, toplandinggear.com, or wherever you normally get your podcasts. And please do subscribe. It is, of course, totally free and let us know anything or anyone you'd like us to feature and we'll try and make it happen 
Remember, you can get in touch with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Top Landing Gear. And do email us with your questions for our expert James at info at toplandinggear.com. That's info at toplandinggear.com. Two G's. Two G's. And we're really looking forward to uh, our next programs. Check out all on the socials when all our episodes are going to drop. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening and bye for now.